it's nice to cover education now for a little bit because there's not death every week. Yeah. <laughs> I met somebody recently and he was like, what a change to go from like courts to education. He's like, because in courts you're, um, you're covering the end of a life and in education you're covering the beginning mm. of life. And I was like, wow. whoa, that's so perceptive. Wow. <laughs> This is episode four of that One Bottles podcast. We made it to episode four, Albert. We made it to episode four. It's, it's incredible. I have a very special guest, my homie from the 361, the education reporter from the San Antonio Express News, Krista Toralva. Let's go. <laughs> How are you? Thank you so much, Jose. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So what have you been working on lately? I'm so nervous. <laughs> I'm like so afraid that I'm going to start talking about like all these different things and I'm going to like say all these things that I can't take back. Um, what am I working on? So um, uh, you said I'm the education reporter. I just like caveat. I'm one of three education reporters. I got to give some love out to my to my ed pod. Um, no, I'm, I'm covering a Southside meeting tonight. Mm -hmm. um, South, I'm sorry, a South San Antonio school board meeting tonight. Um, and then this week is the National Association of Hispanic Journalists Convention here in San Antonio. I'm so mm -hmm. excited. I'm not going to sleep at all. Like, there's going to be so many conferences all day and so many parties at night and all my friends from all over coming. I've got friends from Florida coming and it's going to be so much fun. Nice. Is it your first time doing the convention or no? No, I've gone uh, to this convention before, but it's the first time I've gone to it here in San Antonio. And, you know, I got to go to a lot of conferences and conventions when I was a student journalist. Mm -hmm. Um... Uh, but I didn't know as many people then and now like being removed from college and, and coming in as a professional and having more connections from different parts of the country having friends in different parts of the country and now they're all coming in like that's so exciting yeah that's awesome you're that's gonna be awesome. there right uh, like for part of it <laughs> I'm gonna try and be I'm gonna sneak in yeah I'm gonna be like hey um, it's me sports guy no I'm kidding <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone to a convention, actually. Um, I've been a recipient of the scholarship, I, but I've, I don't think I've ever been to the convention. I've been yeah. to the NEBJ in New Orleans, which was a lot of fun. Oh my gosh, I bet. And I was there for five days, and I met pretty much all my idols, you know. I didn't, right. It was crazy. I, I didn't realize how many of my idols were, were black journalists, and it was, mm -hmm. it was really cool. Like, I finally felt like a minority. <laughs> so I got to, like, learn a lot from, you know, other students, other professionals, so... That was a really dope experience. I know, it's really cool, like, the journalism world, it's so nerdy, but, like, we have all these people we look up to, like, when I was at, uh, earlier this year, I went to the Education Writers Association's conference in Baltimore, and I saw Erica Green, who's an education reporter from the New York Times, she's super, super cool, yeah. and I was like, ah, kind of, like, fangirling, I was like, that's her. <laughs> it's so weird, like, that journalists have this little world where we, like, I don't know, look at each other like celebrities or something, it's super cool. Who was, like, your... Who did you fangirl? What was the first journalist you ever fangirled over? Like, whether it was high school, college, like, or was that your first? No. So when I was young, there were a lot of TV journalists that I looked up to a lot, like, uh -huh. because my mom watched a lot of, like, 60 Minutes and yeah. Oprah. I used to think I wanted to be a talk show, so I wanted to be the next Oprah. And then as I was going through high school and I was a student athlete, I thought I wanted to be a sports journalist. I really wanted to go to the Olympics and cover Michael Phelps. Like, that was my dream, was to interview Michael Phelps. And then... And, and at that time, we were living in Corpus, and so um, there was a local reporter named Stuart Duncan who 
he had interviewed me a couple of times for stories and I wanted to be just like him. And then um, I got to, you know, do some part-time work inside the Corpus Christi Caller Times where he worked. And I wanted, and, I, and so I got to know him and he was like the nicest guy. Like he's such a nice guy. He's such a good journalist and a nice guy. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes you meet your heroes and like they're not as cool, as nice as you thought, like you would hope that they would be. But Stu was like so nice. And so, um... But then when I was in community college, I dabbled with news and I found that like sports was like a hobby, sports journalism was a hobby, but like news reporting was where I felt like I had a purpose and a meaning. And um, so I went to university and started, I uh, minored in criminal justice and you know majored in journalism. And um, now like over that period of time, I came to really admire Journal, a lot of criminal justice journalists like Pamela Koloff, who was writing at the time for the Texas Monthly. So I was getting Texas Monthly every month and like looking for her name. And um, now she's under this partnership with ProPublica Pro and the New York Times Magazine. I can't believe it was you. Whoa. I thought I would be the one. <laughs> I thought I had it on silent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Albert said right before we started this podcast, turn your phones on silent. Oh my gosh. She was, she hit her stride too. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's cool. Right. I can talk all day about journalism. Yeah, like, yeah. I can cool. pick right back up. So anyway, yeah. she works with ProPublica and the New York Times Magazine, and she does these really awesome, awesome criminal justice investigations. And now, like, pretty much everybody who works at the Marshall Project, I idolize. And they're going to actually have a, a cocktail reception on Thursday, and um, I'm really looking forward to it. But I just found out that the San Antonio Association of Hispanic Journalists is probably going to host something super cool on Thursday that I can't say yet, but <sighs> stay tuned. <laughs> oh, man, I'm definitely sneaking in. I know. I'm going to pretend to be, like, someone who works at the facility. Yeah. Oh, senor, did you order this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, that's so awesome. So where'd you go to community college at? In, at Del Mar College in Corpus. And then I went to UT Arlington. How was UTA? It was really good. I mean, like, you know... It's got a student newspaper that's really well regarded. It doesn't have like a journalism school, so it's not like Mizzou or Columbia or whatever. Yeah. But like, it has a student newspaper that would win a bunch of awards. I mean, there were years we did better than UT Austin. So, <laughs> I, I, my prof or she, she wasn't my professor, but she, she works at the the Ranger at SAC. Um, yeah. Her name's Trisha. Mm -hmm. She runs like the communications. She went to UTA, mm -hmm. so she likes to have a pipeline of Ranger kids go to yeah, UTA. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> But I have, uh, I, have, I have a gripe against UTA because every time I, I went to TIPA, I felt like because it was in the Dallas area that they won more awards. So that's, that's my We won more that's, awards that's at the national level. Theory. No, there's no. We're just good. <laughs> no. I won a lot of awards there too. But it wasn't for like live stuff. But you know, the awards don't matter. Like yeah. really they don't. Like I, you know, I, I know I like said like, you know that they like I like to boast about the awards of course because you should be proud of the work oh, yeah, that you sure. do but like there's so many things that there's so much work that doesn't get awards that is like so vital to, mm -hmm. to journalism and to the community and it doesn't matter that's how I felt it was last year mm -hmm. yeah it was 2018 when we had the SBJ awards mm -hmm. and I won like first four first place awards but if I was upset, like, because I, I had won an award for a handball story that I did. Yeah. It was this handball court on the west side. And I, I was, that was my most, like, the story that I was super proud of. And I told myself, I could win a million awards, but if I want to win an award for this story, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. And 
I won one for that. Or I won an award for that one. So I was like, okay, I'm fine now. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Carpus, um, you know, we did this series uh, on domestic violence in, in the city. and I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring it up. Yeah. Great minds. Yeah, you won, you, won, you won a couple of awards for that. So. Yeah, but, like, so that's exactly what I was going to say is, like, nothing, none of the awards made me feel the way I felt, like, Okay, so what I'm trying to say, let me start with what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, like, we did the series for, like, a year and a half or two years, and during that time, okay, so at the very beginning, I started going to these little, like, local coalition meetings mm -hmm. of, like, domestic violence advocates. And every meeting, they were, I think, on Wednesdays, and every meeting had, like, 12 people on a good day, right? And toward the end of the series, there was, like, 100 people going to those things. Uh -huh. And there were changes that were made, like, the police department previously didn't have their family violence unit working on the weekends, which is crazy because, like, I think we all know that it mostly happens on Sundays. Like, there's a lot of research that, like, you know, sports are happening and, like, people make bets and then they lose bets and there's drinking involved. So, like, the most, like, high time for domestic violence is Sundays and your family violence unit isn't working on the weekend. And that changed, like, as a result of our reporting. And the judges started using ankle monitors more, like, for defendants pre-trial and the DA's office did like a bunch of changes too and so like nothing none of the awards like I don't even remember the awards I can't tell you what I got and where they're from mm -hmm. but I can tell you these anecdotes and they mean so much more to me than any award yeah. and I'm still like in touch with a lot of my families from that series and like that also means a lot to me I think that's why we do what we do like I think that when you're young and you're trying to like be on the up and coming like you want to win awards so that you can pad your resume so that you can get that job but then once you're in your career like you just want to do like life-changing work mm -hmm. I don't know I mean how do you feel like you That's I see how close you are to like the people you write about and like how does that feel it was weird because it's funny that you bring that up mm -hmm. awards never meant anything to me at all mm -hmm. um especially like throughout high school like you, you know you go through high school and you know, there's meaningless awards mm -hmm. that, you know, get handed to people who just have either influence or power, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily because they're skilled or good at something. Mm -hmm. So when I was, you know, because I, I started my journal in Jersey at, journalism journey at 15, mm -hmm. so by the time I got to college, um, I was still with sports, but it wasn't until I started covering the Spurs for Spectrum News mm -hmm. as an intern mm -hmm. in front of a camera. It was my dream, and I was excited. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I get to be... Like I had, I still had posters of some of these guys on my wall in my room, and Super here I am talking to them. Yeah, it, it was weird, but it was it was cool. It was a dream come true. Around the same time, I had started a personal blog, and I had started a blog because this one girl that I met at the twenty sixteen um, scholarship gala mm -hmm. that I was a recipient of, mm -hmm. she started a blog, and I'm like, man, she had enough confidence to to start her own blog and put stuff out, and mm -hmm. she's not even a writer. Like, mm -hmm. like that. She's more on the PR side, so that inspired me to start my own blog. But then I thought to myself, well, what can I write about? And I started to think about where I'm from, mm -hmm. so I started to highlight little people. And I remember I had wrote a couple of stories on the West Side, and Vince had shared it out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know he would read my stuff. So Vincent Davis... At the Express News, who is now our Express mentor. At the Express News, my mentor of... Mm -hmm. Was it seven years now? Yeah, seven wow. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's a he's a young stallion. <laughs> but, no, Vince is incredible. But he, sh he shared one of my stories, and what did he say specifically? 
He said, you found your voice, young man. Keep that stride. Oh. And when he said that, I was like, holy shit. Like, this is incredible. Like, this guy that I look up to, that mm -hmm. I ask for advice, he always helps me out. Mm -hmm. He's reading my work, and he, you know, he told me that I found my mm -hmm. voice. So once I discovered that that was my, my thing, um, Curving the Spurs was still great and all, but these stories meant a lot more. Right. Even if it was were just my little blog, and then eventually when I got to university level, I started to write for the school paper again at the university level at A&M San Antonio, mm -hmm. and that's when the awards started to come in. And I didn't, those awards didn't come in until a year later because, mm -hmm. you know, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. the following year. Mm -hmm. The first story I wrote, and it got me second in the nation, was on, uh, it was on the Women's March. Oh, that's so It was cool. when 45 had just got into office, he was inaugurated, and... Um, all these coalitions just assembled out of nowhere mm. and it was thousands of people just mm. assembled and they marched and I captured the photos I wrote the story so but yeah the, these stories mean a lot like like awards don't mean anything to me like I said mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. until we win the Pulitzer and then I'm gonna be like I'm oh, a Pulitzer Prize winner oh, no, no, no. I'm gonna carry that thing with me everywhere I'm like Kendrick Lamar and I have the same <gasps> award Oh, you know what? There, you asked about journalists that I look up to. Oh, I know, right, Kendrick? Um, there's a woman in Miami. She was a two-time uh, Pulitzer Prize winner, and she has books, and you have to read them. Um, shoot, what's her name? I literally like just forgot. But she has one of her books is um, "The Corpse Had a Familiar Face." Oh wow! Yeah, and never let them see you cry. And she worked for the Miami Herald for years. She was mostly a crime and cops reporter, and sometimes huh. she did some courts reporting. But it was, I mean, like, she has, like, the most fascinating stories. And now I kind of, like, look to her as an example because um, I want to write books someday. Me too. Yeah. I feel like it should be every writer's goal at some point. I don't know. Yeah, me too. But I also am, like, I know I say that now, but, like, when I wrote, like, a 3,000-word story for the Domestic Violence series, it was such a draining process. Oh. I mean, like, writing a long story, like, ugh, it was so killer that I can't imagine a book. Yeah. Like, where do you even organize your thoughts? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to ask you about that mm -hmm. coverage is, how do you take care of yourself as a reporter, covering this, like, a lot of people's trauma? Yeah, that's a really good question, and that's, like that's a discussion that's being had among journalists now because there's been so many mass shootings and, yeah. um, you know, journalists are covering those. And I mean, journalists are spending like just as much time as like law enforcement officers. Um, and they're happening with so many, they're happening now with so much more frequency. But the thing that like, I don't want for to get lost in that conversation is your everyday reporter who, while they may not be covering a mass shooting, is covering a different shooting like every week you know yeah. because that was the thing in corpus like i covered so much death and never was it like a mass shooting but it still was extraordinarily emotional and mm -hmm. you get close to these families and i always kind of saw it as like my purpose was to relieve them of some pain for just a little while mm -hmm. and to carry that burden for just a little bit so that they can have a break because i had so many families tell me like talking to you is so therapeutic and you know i feel better talking to you and but i would go home and be like bawling yeah. <laughs> um i ran a lot at the time which i really need to get back into i keep telling myself what's gonna happen next week but next week turns into a year <laughs> um but in corpus i was really good about it i mean like i was running like 11 12 miles every night wow. like in the dark along the water and yeah because like 
it just was a way to get it out. And oh my god, I had so many stories from that. Like there was a there was a young girl who, or not young girl, she was a woman, but she, a young woman who um, lost her mom in domestic violence situation, and um, she was gonna come. So she, by then she no longer lived in Corpus, but her mom did, and that's where she died. And her um, her name is Brittany, and she tried to come. I forget where she was living at the time, but it was a place that snows. <laughs> and so like her flight got delayed, and I remember it got delayed twice. And by the time it came in, and they lost their luggage and all this stuff, and by the time she came in and got to her childhood house with her mom's ashes, it was Mother's Day. Like we had not planned that, and it happened to be the first Mother's Day without her mom. And I remember we went to the house and she was sitting on the stairs and she talked about you know, her mom. We did a video and um, I went home that day because my mom and I had plans and I just like went on the bed and was hugging my mom and crying. Ugh. It's just, I mean, we really like journals really do like we write about these emotional things all the time and, and take that on for a little bit. Um, but I feel like it's an honor. Like that mm -hmm. means so much more to me than an award. But yeah, it's nice to cover education now for a little bit because there's not death every week. Yeah. <laughs> I met somebody recently and he was like, what a change to go from like courts to education. He's like, because in courts you're, um, you're covering the end of a life and in education you're covering the beginning mm. of life. And I was like, Wow. Whoa, that's so perceptive. Wow. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I know, right? Let's <laughs> have a moment of silence for that. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been one of the education reporters? It's been just over a year. Wow. Yeah, and the learning curve is so long because education reporting, like, I, I, I have a whole new respect for it mm -hmm. because, like, I did not know how important it is and how difficult it is because... Um, so first of all, like your taxpayers money is like being used to fund schools, right? Mm -hmm. And your kids are going to schools. So that's a lot at stake, right? That's kids. That's like the future of our city, the future workforce, and also our taxpayer money. So, um, there are people who are in power and have so much power, you know, power, these people like school board members and stuff. And I have to write about them a lot. And, you know, in the past, in my journalism career, I've been super super careful to not like speak up very much outside of my writing like my writing is you know what I what I've what I put out into the world and mm -hmm. I'm not gonna add any more to it but in the last few years I've really become more vocal mm -hmm. and this summer was crazy because I wrote about school board trustee members who are in trouble with the state and um I got a lot of backlash for it. And so the Express News recently started an, an, a weekly education newsletter called Required Reading. And at the intro, you know, one of us writes something, just a little something to dive into the rest of the newsletter. And I like really contemplated, it was my turn to, to write the intro again. And I really contemplated like whether or not I wanted to address some of the backlash that I had gotten in these school board meetings um, because, I don't know, I see myself as a fly on the wall, right? Like, I, the story's not about me. Like, what was me if, you know, they're upset with me, whatever. But I don't know, I, I kind of, maybe it's because of the, like, national rhetoric and, like, the larger conversation that's happening that I really felt like I needed to address it. And so I wrote in my intro about how, you know, the, 
a journalist's like greatest um, job is to hold those in authority accountable. And I just believe in that really strongly. So, you know, I'm going into a school board meeting tonight and it's, it's one of my board, it's one of my, yeah, it's one of my boards that um, has drawn the ire of the state agency and we write controversial things about them and it feels like every week and I understand their frustration. Um, I also would like to be spending my time diving into more meaty things, but, um, you know, I think it's my job to hold them accountable. Yeah. I mean, they're handling all of our money and all of taxpayers' money and they're handling our kids. Like, what else is that? What other greater stake is there? Mm -hmm. um, when you got here, were you overwhelmed by the amount of school districts we have? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's crazy. And also, so I went from Corpus to Orlando for a year, where I also covered courts, and then came here. Never thought that I'd be an education reporter. Um, and <laughs> just didn't even think very much about the education landscape. But in Corpus, there's Corpus Christi ISD, and that's, like, the main district. And then there's a few, like, outer-lying districts. I went to Flower Bluff ISD, mm -hmm. which is one of the ones, one of the outer-lying ones. And my husband went to Gregory Portland ISD, which is on the other side. So they were like, but like in total, like the paper covered maybe like regularly like three or four districts. And here we have 16 and that's not even counting all the charter schools because charter schools, like the whole charter school argument is nuts, man. Like, and that did not exist in Corpus. Um, I think it did in Orlando, but I wasn't there long enough and I wasn't paying attention to education. Um, but it is like <laughs> wild here. Um, what school did you go to? <laughs> oh, yeah, you've bounced around. <laughs> I went to three high schools. <laughs> Were so they all to... the same district, or? No. Okay, so tell me about that. So I went to Burbank my freshman year. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to go to Lanier because I lived in the Lanier area, but... Hey, everybody... I went to Lanier. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. He's from the hood. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we... So I was supposed to go to Lanier, but I ended up going to Burbank because mm -hmm. I just wanted to go to a different school than my, my whole family went to, mm -hmm. attended, and... My mother passes away at the end of my freshman mm -hmm. year, and then I end up at Lee. So I go to Lee, and by the, I'm miserable. Like, it didn't matter what school I landed at. Mm -hmm. I would have been miserable. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's, I mean, I'm grieving my mother's death. Oh. But that's when I started my journalism journey. So I was fortunate enough to land at Lee because I had the best journalism teacher in Texas, in my opinion. <laughs> Her name was Miss um, Sladden. Amazing. Um, so I wrote, it was crazy, I wrote 50 stories <laughs> my sophomore year of high school. They were all bad, but it was, I was just writing and writing and my teacher was like, I created a monster. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I needed to write something or, you know, use this energy for something positive. So I was there, um, my living situation, um, got a little messed up again. So I ended up moving to Roosevelt mm -hmm. where I eventually graduated from. But it was three. It was two different districts, but it was three different high schools. Like the demographics were different. Yeah. The you know the living like everyone's living situation was different. Mm -hmm. So it was very overwhelming um, at times. When I got to Roosevelt, I, I really enjoyed it because my father was a janitor uh -huh. in Northeast for thirty years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I only lived with my dad for a year, um, post my parents' divorce. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I knew the area really well. He was a it was a janitor at this school called Ed White, which feeds into Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I knew some of the kids at Roosevelt already. 
Um, that was really fun, but I could tell SAISD was behind. Mm. But I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't discover that as a high schooler. I discovered that as a middle schooler. Mm-hmm. So when I was in middle school, my mother got sick. And we ended up moving with my uncle, man and uncle, who were doing well financially. Mm-hmm. So I went from Cooper Middle School, which is not even a school anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like a, an academy now. Mm-hmm. Like people get their GED there. Mm-hmm. So Cooper fed until a year. So that closed down my seventh grade year. So I went from Cooper to Stinson. Stinson feeds into Brandeis and O'Connor. Mm-hmm. So you go from the 07 zip code to that. Like, wow. Nuts. Yeah. Like, I came back, when I came back to the West Side, I was like, oh my God, we are so behind here in SISD. We're not prepared. Like, over there in Northside, they're preparing the kids for college, SISD, Mm -hmm. at that time. Right. I don't know how SISD is now. I only know, I only know through my kids that I volunteer with. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were just prepping us to graduate high school. Yeah. Unless you were, like, in a special program. Yeah. Like, you were, you were destined to struggle in college. (laughs) Yeah, my dad graduated from Linear, and he, like, a long time ago, <laughs> um, and uh, he went to St. Mary's and flunked out, and then he, I forget where he went from there, but he ended up going and graduating with his bachelor's degree from Tennessee Temple, my mom and dad are both, like, really religious, so he um, went on to be a pastor, and she's a, public, a private school teacher, um, uh, but then after that, he joined the Navy, well, they came back here, and they lived in San Antonio, and he worked for Goodwill, and my mom uh, managed the uh, managed apartments at the complex where she and my dad lived, and um, then my dad joined the Navy, and um, they put him through chaplaincy school or like theology school so that he could be a chaplain, and uh, he went to Princeton, and there he did well. But like it took a lot, you know, because like in the beginning he was not prepared for St. Yeah. Mary's, and that was like for him he was still living at home with his his mom here in San Antonio, so like you're not even talking about like trying to like pay for room and board you know um and so yeah I, I know that's a struggle and um I don't cover SAIC regularly but uh Pedro Martinez the superintendent he recently came into our office to talk about the stuff they're doing there and he talked about that he talked about students who get accepted into like these like really you know prestigious schools and they don't want to go because you have to like pay for and board and stuff like that and he actually said too that it's kind of like a jail because you go to these universities, but then you don't have the money to come back, and your parents don't have the money to go visit you. Like, Pedro was saying that he and some of his administrators, like, will take care packages from these kids' moms up to their university and give it to them, and then do, like, little cell phone videos of them, like, getting it, and then taking it back and showing the parents. I know, and it's just, like, trying to bridge that. Like, I didn't didn't have to worry about that when I went to college. I consider myself so blessed, but my dad, like, sacrificed a lot so that I could have that like ease in my own life so when you were when you were born was he already in the navy yeah okay yeah i was born in bethesda maryland even though we they lived in virginia and then like a few months later they moved to san diego so like the whole east coast i didn't really like spend much time there um and then they were in california for a little while and then we moved all over the place i lived in florida and i was a little kid when he went to theology school um in princeton so then we went back to the east and then um, eventually, a lot of my childhood was in Italy because we spent two years in Naples, or two years in La Maddalena and three years in Naples. And then we came to Corpus. And so that's why I call Corpus home because that's where I like, graduated from high school and I started my career and I met my husband. And wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what was Corpus like for you? 
Well, I love Corpus. I rep the 361 like hard. I know. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like, I have to give love to San Antonio too because, like, obviously, it made my my dad and it made my dad and mom. And um, uh, we came and spent a lot of summers here visiting my grandmother. Um, and when I went away to Orlando, Florida, this is like no hate on Orlando or Florida because I actually loved Orlando and Florida. But um, I really missed. South Texas culture. I miss it so much. And coming back to San Antonio, it's, it's so great. But um, Corpus is wonderful. I mean, it's on the water. Like, I know I'm so biased. I know nobody will agree with me when I say this, but like, the Texas Gulf Coast is the best coast in the world. Like, I <laughs> don't need to go to beaches in, like, well, that's not true. I was going to say I don't need to go to beaches in Greece and Spain, but I'm actually bugging my husband right now to take me to Greece <laughs> or Spain. <laughs> but <laughs> the Corpus beaches will always Ferris be is getting put on the spot. I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> it happens everywhere we go. I'm Poor like, guy. He's all sick right now, and she's putting him on his spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So what was it like transitioning into Express News as an education reporter? Uh, the education beat just... So, like, I actually think that this is so unfair, that um, the education system is so complicated. Like, how is any regular person supposed to understand it like I don't I don't know you know the funding mechanism is so confusing and I just like it's it's been a learning curve but um you know I spend a lot of time like devoted to it I go to especially in the beginning and even still I feel like I go to a lot of my I go to almost every single one of my school board meetings and um I've been up like till 2 a.m reading like legislative documents that you know pertain to education and trying to understand the funding system and um it's a lot that's why i think we started the education newsletter because how are parents supposed to like go to all of their board meetings you know their child's board meetings and their parent meetings and you know their like teacher meeting or like you know there's the parent the pta but then there's also like you know you go inside the classroom and meet your kids teachers like how are you supposed to do all of that like there's no way unless that's your full-time job so I feel like that's kind of where we come in but you asked me like about you know if there's a lot if I thought there if I was overwhelmed by the number of school districts and like yeah because even then like I've had Harlan Allen Edgewood meet on the same nights and I need I feel like I need to go to both you know it's really hard but having said that um I've heard a lot of fears and especially in the south side mm -hmm. uh districts of you know consolidation and that's something that none of them want like they do not want to be consolidated because they all have their own unique like cultures and they're very proud and as they should be they're you know they're all different from one another in some way um but the fear of consolidation is real in those communities and then like losing their identity yeah yeah what i'll tell you one of the things i'm working on is um you know harlandale is one of the ones that the state um has been scrutinizing and so is south san antonio um and I'm looking at, in the historically, when the state has put what's called a board of managers in place, which is replacing the elected officials. Um, in the past, some of those school districts have gone on to continue failing, and then getting shut down and absor absorbed by another school district. Like last night, I was like researching it, and Lamarck ISD got absorbed by I think it was Texas City, and then North Forest ISD got absorbed by Houston, and so. I can see why these families in these in Harlandale and South Sand and Edgewood, um, you know, Edgewood already has a board of managers, and Harlandale is, it looked, the, the TEA has said they want to put a board of managers in, and they're fighting it right now, but, I mean, 
if you look at the history, they don't want to be absorbed by another school district. So I understand the fear. Oh, man. Wow. Um, do you still keep up with any um, domestic violence news locally? So our paper is starting a domestic violence series, and I'm, I'm not on that team. Um, I'm, um, I know that we have had a lot of domestic violence fatalities in the last couple of years, and um, I'm really glad that our paper is devoting that time to it. Um, and my hunch is that at some point there's an intersection with, you know, domestic violence in, in schools, and I'd be happy to jump on board. It was actually, you know, during um, the domestic violence series that I did in Corpus that I started doing some education stuff because um, it, 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 domestic violence is very traumatic for children to witness. Um, and it has a lot to do with how, you know, their brain is shaped because when they experience trauma, you know, I mean, there's, there's research that talks about how um, it literally can like rework your brain pathways. And so if you're, you know, witnessing this domestic violence every single night in your home and then you're going to school, like nothing happened and you're not talking about it, you know, that's like that actually can be very damaging to a child's brain. Um, so I had gotten a, uh, like a scholarship to go, um, or it was a fellowship rather with this nonprofit organization called Solutions Journalism, um, to go to Harvard and Yale and, um, work with or observe some of the communities near them that had ad adopted, um, things that Yale and Harvard had in place to help kids who had witnessed domestic violence. So in, in Connecticut, um, in uh, some of the police departments were partnering with clinicians um, so that they would go and visit these kids after these things have happened and just make sure that they're okay. And then in uh, Massachusetts, um, you know, they were working in the schools and, and that was really cool too. So um, actually something I wrote about that was happening in Massachusetts, the school districts here are now starting to do and it's called Handle with Care. And I just recently wrote about it and police departments are like notifying school districts when a child has been a witness to something traumatic and that's it. Like they don't really give any details. They just say like this child witnessed something dramatic overnight, like kind of just like give them a little more TLC. Um, so that that way, like, if a teacher thinks that the child is being disrespectful by falling asleep in the back of the classroom, the teacher can think, like, oh, no, 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 that person, like, saw something last night, and let me just handle this child with a little more, you know, like I said, TLC than, like, something putative. Mm, wow, that's, that's... I know, there's so much in that world, but... Yeah, it's, yeah. everyone thinks things are just black and white, and they're not. There's no. so many elements and components. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. what do you do outside of journalism to like kind of like just you know relax well I feel like my groove that I had in Corpus really got messed up because I moved to Orlando and was not there very long and then I moved back to San Antonio and then you know I got married and like we've you know been out of town a lot to visit family and so it's just like I need to get back into my groove and I'm, I'm hoping to like start doing that now you know you should hit up who what um she actually runs with my professor from A&M San Antonio yeah Lisa Krantz, she runs. Oh my God, I know. She's, she's a, running lots of money. So Lisa Krantz is a like big time photographer. She is a Pulitzer Prize finalist. <laughs> yes, she, Lisa Krantz is a legend. She yes. came into the sack all the time and spoke to us. And yeah, if you haven't heard Lisa Krantz, I would you need to look her up, man, because she's so she is amazing. She, she followed me on Twitter the other day. I was I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, because everybody yeah. was retweeting my my the picture of me with the front page. Oh. So she had liked it and then she followed me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Lisa Krantz. Yeah, but she's, like, running a lot of miles right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I need to build back up. 
But it's so hot right now, so I'm just like, it okay, is. I need to like, as soon as it's cooler, then the excuses stop. <laughs> so what kind of TV are you watching, if you're watching any at all? Oh my god, no. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. No, um, I, I am ashamed to admit that I'm a huge fan of Bachelor and Bachelorette. <laughs> um, and I would draw the line at Bachelor in Paradise because... I'm like such a romantic at heart that uh -huh. even though I know it's I know it's crazy, but like Bachelor and Bachelorette, I'm like rooting for them to find love. But Bachelor in Paradise is like just debauchery. <laughs> but for some reason, I really got hooked on this season, so I'm watching Bachelor in Paradise, and it's so bad because I will probably get home really late from my school board meeting tonight and watch it, even though like <laughs> I have to get up and go to work tomorrow. I love it. And then, <laughs> I know. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> no, a lot of people, I didn't realize how many people watch that show. Mm -hmm. My old boss from Spectrum, who, Jeff Platt, who's now a reporter, he covers poker in Vegas. Because mm -hmm. he's a fantastic poker player, so he's mm -hmm. always betting. So we used to be at the Spurs games, and we would bet Whataburger. But we wouldn't bet on, like, games, because we mm -hmm. we're wrestling nerds. Yeah. So we'd be like, all right. We're going to do um, the Royal Rumble card. We're going to do the WrestleMania card. And, you know, if whoever has the most wins has to buy the other, or the loser has to buy the winner, Whataburger. So that was, but he loved, he would always tweet about the Bachelorette. And I'm like, is this guy gambling on the Bachelorette? Or does he thoroughly enjoy the Bachelorette? Like, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, uh, but you know what? Mike Johnson is on, he, he's a San Antonio guy. Uh -huh. um, and he's on Paradise right now. But he was on the most previous season of The Bachelorette, and he got kicked off, and it was really sad. And everybody was, a lot of people were rooting for Mike to be the next Bachelor. And if anybody listening is Bachelor or Bachelorette fan, you know, don't listen to this part, because spoiler alert. But um, I read that it's going to be Pilot Pete, not Mike. But we're, a lot of us are really disappointed because Mike Johnson would have been the first black Bachelor. Oh. I know. Uh, we've had one black Bachelorette, but... You know, we need to diversify right, that's what I'm the saying. Bachelor franchise more. And Ooh. so he's here. And um, so anyway, my friend and I at the Express News, we have reached out to his publicist because we really want to interview him. So if he's listening, I really want to interview you. Um, yeah, Mike Johnson. And I, he won't. I know. Come on, Mike Johnson. But he won't. He like His publicist hasn't responded. But like I follow him on Instagram and I also follow his trainer. And they're always working out at like 9 in the morning. And it's like somewhere way up 1604. And I'm like, I'm just going to show up. Do it. I know. <laughs> but does that make up, me like full of the way you did on on uh, on Juliana at the game? Uh, <laughs> but that was not like he can't. In that case, Julian came to my yeah, gala. He came to your event. Yeah, yeah, like that's true. That's true. I don't want to. I don't want to like become a paparazzi. Nah, that's not what you are. <laughs> that's not what you're I You're far from that. Thank you. But it's great that you mentioned diversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good segue into diversity in newsrooms. How oh important is that? Um, so important. I mean, that's really why I belong to the San Antonio Association of Hispanic Journalists and the National Association of Hispanic Journalists because their mission is to put more um, Latinos and Latinas in, in newsrooms, and, and I think that's really important. I actually like really, really think that it's important to start paying equally across genders. Mm -hmm. um, that's something that I've become more impassioned about and more knowledgeable about um, it recently because I somewhat recently felt like I was gender discriminated against. Um, and uh, that's something I talk about a lot now. Um, <laughs> this is one of the things I was nervous about talking about because I, 
don't know like how much I'm afraid that I like am a chronic oversharer. Does that make sense? No, no, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, but at one of the papers that I worked at, um, not the Express News, they, um, <laughs> it's really easy to figure out which one I'm talking about. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I went there for uh, a certain amount and um, they ended up offering, you know, my now husband a job and right off the bat offered him. Uh, I think it was 3000 more than they had offered me. And, you know, my husband and I have talked about this and together and with a lot of other people. And um, I'm a couple years older than my husband. I have more experience. I have more words. I have, mm -hmm. like, lots more under my belt. And, you know, he felt bad because they offered him more. And they also offered him moving expenses, whereas they had not offered me moving expenses. So my girlfriends from the paper, we all went out that night and we were like, you know, screw newspapers like this is the gender discrimination because they also were being paid less than they had offered him and it was so like infuriating because my friend one of the ones who went out with me that night you know we were drinking wine and we were just like ah. um but she has been a two-time pulitzer finalist wow. yes because she worked for the boston globe during the marathon bombing and then she worked at the orlando sentinel during the um club mass shooting and both were Pulitzer Prize finalists. And, like, if she were here, she's so humble. She'd be like, oh, no, I was just, like, low on the totem pole during the Boston Marathon bombing. I, like, didn't do very much. But she's she such a badass a journalist. She was a part of it. And she is wow. she's amazing. And so, like, he here, here he comes in, you know, being a man and gets offered more. And I, you know, I really tried, like, benefit of the doubt to think, like, okay, well, maybe, like, this financial year was better for the company. Like, maybe that's the reason why, right? But then he ended up turning it down because I got a job offer here and I moved here. And they turned around and offered the job to a girlfriend of mine who was in Dallas at the time. Offered her less than they'd offered him and no moving expenses. I was furious. <laughs> furious. So when I came here, you know, I was, <laughs> I was um, with those same girlfriends drinking wine again. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. When uh, the editor who, who hired me here at San Antonio called, and she was like, we never talked about how much you're wanting to make. And I was feeling particularly emboldened at this moment because you know, all this was happening, and my girlfriends were like, go high, go high. And I like blurted out a number that I did not expect her to need, and she goes, that is a little bit high, but she came back with just a little bit less than that. It was, it was more than I was making. It was more than I expected to make, mm -hmm. but um, it was good. And so I was like, okay. But now that I'm here, like, I feel like that experience happened to me because I, I need to help mm -hmm. other women, especially, but really journalists all over, um, make what they're worth. Because I have a guy friend who got an offer. He was texting me today. And I was like, that does not sound fair. <laughs> um, and so I am very open if anybody wants to talk about Oh, my gosh. Salary Wait, was it you that I... No, I don't think... I don't think we were talking yet mm -hmm. like I don't think I knew you that well yet mm -hmm. at the time but I remember that night I had got an offer from this paper down mm -hmm. south oh yeah we were talking about that oh yeah okay, I know okay. what you're talking about mm -hmm. yeah so and they gave me an, the offer mm -hmm. and I was excited because I mean man it's a full-time sports reporting job mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is gonna be great I'm gonna be able to cover three different areas mm -hmm. and it's gonna be put on one site it's gonna be super cool everyone's mm -hmm. gonna see my work and then they sent me the offer and the contract, and I'm like... Oh. I remember it was really low. It was super low, and I and I called, I immediately called Vince. I called uh, my professor, mm -hmm. who was from that area. Mm -hmm. She taught there. Talked to her. <laughs> She's like, 
that's how much I made in the 80s. Wow. And I'm like, what? The only thing I will say, though, is that the difference there is, I think, if I remember correctly, that paper that offered, that made that offer to you, um, is locally owned? Or... It, pro it probably might be. It might be, because the difference is with, like, papers like, you know, your Lando Sentinel was owned by Trunk at the time, and, um... Santone Express News is owned Hearst. by Hearst, and um, you know the Color Times in my three and a half years that I was there was passed along and under three different companies. Wow. Um, I know that's a whole other story, but anyway, like these companies make lots of money, and their top executives are paid tons, like tons, and they're given like there was this like really terrible story that came out um, while I was at the Sentinel, and I don't remember all the details, so I like don't want to talk about it unless I know what I'm talking about. But basically, like one of their top executives got like this crazy like moving stipend like his own personal like jet i think and then like just it, and and meanwhile the papers at the bottom of this totem pole are being are experiencing layoffs um downsizing everyone. yes everyone's working twice and twice i couldn't even get a moving expense from texas to florida like it's it that that's what makes me so mad is the big companies that have the money but are like funneling it to their top execs and and i don't know this is where i feel like i'm afraid i'll say too much okay. no, you're fine you're fine no need to get you in trouble <laughs> i get very impassioned i went on like a rant on facebook and instagram lately recently because um of of this with the caller times because yeah. you know the corpus christi caller times is always going to be my hometown newspaper yeah in the back of my mind like i could see myself going back someday like you know years from now and that's always going to be my home. That's awesome. It's crazy. It's funny that she talks about like being passionate about and like going on rants. I, I do that all the time yeah. with my friend Jessica. And mm -hmm. so she works with, she works uh, for CPS. Oh my God. So she's like constantly like listening God to bless people. Her. Yeah, she, she's an incredible person. So <laughs> whenever I go on rants, I'm like, I'm sorry. I was like, I know you listen to people all day and like, Aww. you know, <laughs> you're here listening to me. She's probably such a good listener, though. Oh, fantastic listener. Mm -hmm. Listeners, great listeners are hard to come across. <laughs> CPS workers, they are doing God's work. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else you want to say to the people? You can, I always tell people, talk your shit, so you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can talk your shit. I know, it's therapeutic, right? This yeah. is why, this is, I think this is why people like to talk to journalists, like, once you give them a chance because I think that we're good listeners, right? Yeah, we are great listeners. We have to be. Am I a great yeah. listener, Albert? You are. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like to chime in. Like, initially he used to love to chime in, but then his wife got mad at him. She's Why? Like, Albert, you need to stop like talking. Oh. <laughs> she didn't necessarily get mad at me, but... <laughs> what does your wife do? Uh, she is a administrative assistant for an insurance company called okay. FutureWise. Okay. And... Uh, She's an artist. That's artist her art right there. She's an artist. This is beautiful. Yeah. Shout out Caroline. <laughs> Caroline Adam, soon to be Gonzalez. Sweet Caroline. Yeah, they're getting married. Oh, congratulations. This month. Mm -hmm. And they're oh going to have a baby. Gosh. When this month? Uh, the 21st. Okay. Oh, do you remember? Nice. Congratulations. That one and then our baby is due on the 22nd of October. Oh, oh my gosh. A lot of stuff happening. That is. That's a lot of life. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, tell them your, your handles. Oh, yeah. Okay. Media. So on Twitter, I'm at KM Torralva, and I try to keep it professional on there. And Torralva is T-O-R-R-A-L-V-A. 
um, and Instagram is at Coastal Reporter. I, I want to be an Instagram influencer, so sometimes you see me trying. <laughs> I don't even have an Instagram. I, I didn't even know you really? had an Instagram. <laughs> I'll add you after the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Albert, tell them your handles. Trebla Art, T-R-E-B-L-A underscore art or albertgonzalezart.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SportsGuyJose. You can see me doing hood rat stuff. <laughs> but now that the sports season has started, I have to kind of like relax a little bit, you know, because I'm going to be covering a lot of games yeah. <laughs> this season. So my, what was it, hot boy summer or whatever they called it? It's over it was for like me. like hot girl summer. Yeah, or, or city boys, that's what it's called. Oh. Yeah. I never, I don't know what these kids are talking about nowadays. But that wraps it up for episode four. Stay brown, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>